The scripture reading this morning is from Colossians 3, verses 1 through 17. Since then you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. For you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these, the wrath of God is coming. You used to walk in these ways in the life you once lived, but now you must rid yourselves of all such things as these, anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. Do not lie to each other, since you have taken off your old self with its practices, and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge, in the image of its creator. Here there is no Greek or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and in all. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, Humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive whatever grievances you may have against one another. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you were called to peace, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell richly in you, as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom, and as you sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs with gratitude in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Would you pray with me this morning? Father, this morning we come and we acknowledge that Our eyes might be a little bit more sleepy than normal. Our bodies a little bit more tired than normal. Even our hearts may be a little bit more weary than normal. We pray that you would give us new life this morning as we approach your word. As together with your people, we wait to hear from you through your spirit working in our hearts. We pray this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. So, yesterday I was sitting on the couch, it was in the morning with my wife and watching just kind of morning news program, and saw a statistic that 80% of New Year's resolutions fail by February. Now, I've made two, year, two New Year's resolutions, one, preach shorter sermons, And that's destined to fail today, (laughs) the collective groan. And the second was to get in better shape. Now, I know that one is not going to fail by February because I'm not even going to start until February. (laughs) I got too much cookies still to eat. And I have a secret weapon. Deontay has agreed to be the guy that whips this into shape. 
And this is going to work because between sets, I, I mean, I just hate exercising so much. But between sets, we can have a conversation about which early church father we like the most. And then do another set and then talk about why we don't like Karl Barth. And my goal is by next summer at the church picnic, people are going to be like, who is that nerd walking with that ripped dude? And I'm the ripped dude and he's the nerd. That's my goal. Uh, it's New Year's Day, right? New Year's resolutions are on our minds. So in the spirit of New Year's Day and New Year's resolutions, from this passage in Colossians, let me offer three suggestions for resolutions that I hope and through your life and those three resolutions are deeply rooted in one beautiful reality. Three resolutions. The first, be a glutton. Be a glutton. You mean, Dan, don't you mean diet? Don't you mean eat? No, be a glutton. But feast on things heavenly. The Apostle Paul says, set your hearts. Actually, that's what the NIV says. That's not what the Apostle Paul says. That is just a horrible translation, if I'm honest. Uh, the word heart doesn't appear in that verse. Cardia. Nowhere there. The word that is used there is seek the things above. It's the same word that Jesus uses when he says seek first the kingdom of God and all these things will be added to you. So in Paul's language, Christians are the ones that are to be seekers. Never stop seeking. Seek the things that are above. And then he adds in verse 2, set your mind on things above. Setting your mind means to ponder, to contemplate, to let your mind dwell on, to fix your attention on the things that are above. So seek heaven and think heaven. Seek the things above where Christ is and set your minds on heavenly things because that's where Christ is. In, in Paul's mind, the appeal of heaven isn't simply streets of gold, absence of disease. The appeal of heaven is that that is where Christ is. Set your mind on things above. That is where Christ is. You know, a few years ago, I was actually just this week flipping through a, if I call it a journal, you're going to think it's a diary. It's not. Okay? It's not. Uh, it's where I kind of write down reflections and thoughts and sometimes diagrams of tables I want to build. Uh, but there was this Reflection that I wrote down that I believe we as a church, not just our church, but the church, have failed to water the imagination of the believer regarding heaven and heavenly things. And so because we don't have a big, grand imagination of heavenly things, we get enamored with earthly things. 
And we get too attached to the things of this land and too devoted to the things of this world. Paul says, don't do that. Set your mind and your hearts or seek the things that are above. Now, he is not advocating for a retreat from this world. But a new way of seeing this world against the backdrop of heavenly things, against the background of things above that are eternal. This isn't Gnosticism. I used that word a few months ago in a sermon. This isn't retreat from material and physical to the interior. Gnosticism would say a a, a day spent on a hillside meditating the things of God is far more pleasing to God than serving your neighbor, loving your spouse, feeding your kids. That's not Paul's mindset as the rest of this chapter plays out. No, but as you do those things that you're called to do, do them against the backdrop of eternity. Understanding that these things, the things of this world and the desires of this world, will pass away. So hungrily pursue the things above. Uh, To my knowledge, no one has exemplified this more than the 18th century missionary David Brainerd. In his diary, he said, Of late, God has been pleased to keep my soul hungry almost continually so that I have been filled with a kind of pleasing pain. When I really enjoy God, I feel my desire of him all the more (coughs) insatiable and my thirstings after holiness the more unquenchable. And the Lord will not allow me to feel as though I were fully supplied and satisfied, but keeps me still reaching forward, still seeking, still wanting, still striving, being a glutton for the things that are above. So this year, make it a year of seeking, a year of seeking the things above where Christ is. Second resolution, be more violent. What? You're you're advocating violence? Absolutely. But don't take your violence out on anybody but your sin. Put to death, Paul says, that which belongs to the old self, to your earthly nature. Kill sin. Now this is not, trust me, not about being an alpha male and flexing and you know trying to get all macho and turn, turn the church into a fight church. That is such a load of crap. I can't stand that stuff. This call to fight is not a male thing. This is a Christian thing. Young men, old men, young women, old women, babes in Christ are called to fight sin in their life. A few weeks ago, a friend that I deeply respect raised a little bit of a a, a caution that we not become 
enthralled, enamored, that we don't glorify always fighting. And I, I hear that. And it is certainly not healthy to go stalking the corners of Facebook and running to Twitter, looking for, you know, to throw verbal fists, looking for a fight. And I'm very concerned that we keep looking out at the culture and finding sins to go in war against, and we're waging a culture war. I am talking about waging a war against the sin that is still very much active in my heart. Focus more on the sins that are thriving within. I promise you, there is enough sin in your own heart to keep your warrior spirit busy. Fight there. Last month I was reading a book about punk rock in East Berlin. I know. Great book. Bill was shaking his head. He was not a fan. Great book. One of the slogans of these punk rocks who were influential and instrumental in bringing down the Berlin Wall, one of their slogans was, destroy what is destroying you. They didn't know it, but they were channeling an old Puritan theologian, John Owen, who said, be killing sin or sin be killing you. Now, the punk rock group was focused on the systems of oppression and communism. Owen focuses us on the heart. Sin in your heart is waging a war against you, your happiness, your well-being, God's glory, and your satisfaction in it. So be killing sin, or it will be killing you. Don't settle for sin management. Don't tame and cage your sin. Slaughter it. Channel your inner pirate, your inner devil dog, and give sin no quarter. Make no compromise with it. Be ruthless. Paul's list of sins here, I'm not going to read it. I'm not going to go into detail about it because it is just an example of the sins that so easily beset us. It's a catalog of sins, but you could turn to Galatians or Philippians or Ephesians and and find other lists that overlap but that that are slightly different and include sins like drunkenness or sorcery or envy. The point isn't the specific sin. How is sin manifesting itself in your life? And how do you deal with it? Well, deal with it radically. Starve it. Strangle it. Sins thrive on attention. That's their oxygen. Don't feed them. Instead, set your mind on Christ and watch the sins lose their power. Yesterday, as I was kind of rolling through this in my head, the great Tolkien books, 
Lord of the Rings series came to mind, especially The Return of the King. If you've seen the movie, and they've been out for so long, I don't care if I spoil it for you. Um, If you've seen the movie, there's a great quest to destroy this one ring, which is a source of, I'm paraphrasing and summarizing, a source of evil. And there's a fight against a great power of evil, Sauron, towards the end of the book, the return of the king. The battle is won. The quest has been completed. The ring is destroyed. The tower of Sauron has fallen. The heroes are celebrating. And then they sail off into the sunset. The movies skip my favorite chapter of the book, The Scouring of the Shire. The battle has been won. The grand battle, and the four hero hobbits, Perry, Mippin, Mip, wow, Mary, Pippin, Sam, and Frodo, go back to their home, the Shire. And when they go to the Shire, it's been bespoiled. It's been polluted by evil that has infiltrated, by ruffians, and enemies, Wormwood and Saruman. And they have to go in and and root out the sin where they live, the evil where they live. The fighting's not done. Frodo says, I I don't want to fight anymore. I don't want any more killing. And one of his friends says, I'm afraid it's going to come to that. Evil's still here. It has to be dealt with. The battle has been won... Christ is victorious over sin, the devil, evil. But here where we live, there's still remnants that pollute. We do the work with the power of the Spirit in the Word of rooting out, destroying, and rebuilding. So make this a year of warring. Third, Resolution, dress more extravagantly. I don't mean go out and buy you some Yeezys and get some Gucci stuff. Adam's laughing because he knows I don't even know what those are. (laughs) No, dress extravagantly. Put on Christ. Clothe yourself in holiness. In this passage, verses 5 to 11 are fairly negative. Put to death the sins. Verse 12 turns positive. Verse 12, therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourself in compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness. And he goes on to add patience, Forgiveness and love. And love. In a word, put on holiness. Holiness is beautiful. Young people, I'm talking to anyone under 30. Be the generation that reminds the world, that shows the world holiness is beautiful. 
There's been generations in the church that have done it well. Mine isn't one of them. We've chosen culture war instead of the beauty and the attractiveness of holiness. Holiness comes not primarily from rigorous asceticism or self-restraint, but from a mind captivated and controlled by the beauty, by the glory, by the majesty of our risen Lord and who we are in Him. So make this a year of beauty. If you've noticed what Paul has done here, he's constructed a compliment sandwich. You know what that is? When you have something hard to say to someone, you're failing at your job, you start off with a compliment. Your hair looks really good today. You're failing at your job. I like your shoes. I'm not good at compliments. You get the, you get the point. Paul has said something positive. You were God's chosen people. Set your heart and mind on things above. Then negative, put to death. But he comes back to the positive. Put on, clothe yourself in these beautiful virtues of compassion and kindness and love. Why? Why this compliment sandwich? Because Paul's an astute anthropologist. He knows the human heart. He knows that denying the pleasures of sin in some stoic fashion, that is a losing proposition. The pleasures of sin can't just be denied. They need to be replaced with better pleasures. 20 years ago, I read a book that has profoundly changed how I approach holiness. The book was by Sam Storms called Pleasures Evermore. He uses an illustration that helps so much. It's two stories. Kids, you might know these characters. They're from Greek mythology. So if you've read Rick Reardon, these are going to ring a bell. Students, if you've taken class on Greek mythology, you'll be with me. First story is of Ulysses. Ulysses was on a quest sailed from Ithaca to Troy to rescue Helen. On his return journey from Troy to Ithaca, he had to sail past the island of Sirens. Sirens were these mythical creatures, sometimes drawn as part bird, part woman, sometimes part mermaid, part woman, and they had beautiful voices. And with those voices at the Isle of Sirens, they could draw in sailors. And the sailors would steer towards the sound of this beautiful music and crash their ships on the rocks. And these sirens devoured them. Ulysses knew about the Isle of Sirens. His plan was he had all the sailors stuff wax in their ears so they couldn't hear the sound. But he wanted to hear it. So he had himself tied to the mast of the ship. They made it past the island. But Ulysses' heart was intoxicated with the song. If it wasn't for the ropes holding him to the mast of the ship, he surely would have crashed it on the rocks. Sam Storms says, Such is the way many Christians live. Their heart pants. 
for the passing pleasure of sin. They struggle through life saying no to sin because, not because their hearts are so inclined, but because their hands have been shackled by laws, rules, taboos, prohibitions of the religious environment. Their obedience is not a glad product of a transformed nature, but reluctant conformity, born out of fear and shame. He contrasts the story of Ulysses with that of Jason, Jason of the Argonauts, Jason of the Golden Fleece. He also was on a quest and had to sail past the Island of Sirens, but his solution was profoundly different. He brought someone with him, Orpheus. Orpheus, the most renowned musician who had ever lived. And as they approached the Isle of Sirens, Orpheus, on his lute and with his voice, played out the most beautiful song. And the sailors were captivated by his song, and so they paid no attention to the song the sirens were singing, and they sailed safely by. Sam Storm says the options are clear. Will you continue to fight against the restrictive influence of legalistic ropes and the binding power of fear, reprisal, and guilt? while your heart, heart persists in yearning for what your hand is denied? Or do you long to shout a spontaneous no to the sirens because you've heard a sweeter sound? Fight sin, but fight it by fixing your gaze more firmly on Jesus. On your reward. Don't deny yourself pleasure, but realize that you are often way too easily satisfied. Yearn for, seek, long for the better pleasure of life with Jesus. Now I know that framing this as New Year's resolutions masks something very important. These are actually commands. They're not options. That you, not something you can cheat on. These are commands. But commands grounded in reality of what God has already done. This is the way that ethics in the Bible plays out. It always moves from indicatives, truth statements, to imperatives, commands, theology, then ethics. Commands are grounded in what God has already done for his people. You see that pattern all through the Bible, even in the Old Testament. God calls Abraham, I've chosen you. I will bless you. Now, obey. Get up and go to a land I'll tell you. You see that with the people of Israel. God delivers them mightily. From the hand of Pharaoh. He rescues, redeems, saves them, and then brings them to Sinai and gives them the law. And you see that in the New Testament too. Here in Colossians and the rest of the New Testament, theology is the, the ground in which these commands are rooted. You were a chosen people, Paul says. You're holy and beloved. 
Not because you've kept the commands, not because you were so noble, but by grace. Now, here's how you live. The gospel comes and then obedience. And in this chapter, Paul has focused on the gospel, not just that Christ has died for you and Christ has been raised for you, though that is incredibly profound. He goes even deeper. You have died with Christ. And you have been raised with Christ. And now your life is hidden with Christ. We are with him in his death. We are with him in his resurrection. We are with him now in heaven. Our life is hid with him, kept safe, ready to be revealed. So, our thoughts, our affections, our plans, our dreams, our pleasures, and our delights ought to be centered on him also. No amount of effort to quell sin or don holiness will amount to anything unless you've experienced this radical break from the old and unless you've been born again by faith and live this new life united to Jesus. So make this a year of accepting the gospel Accepting it as true and yours. Not just today, but every day of this year. Would you pray with me? Father, we are so grateful. We are grateful for the newness of life that is ours in Jesus Christ. I'm aware that in a congregation this size, there are probably those who have not yet experienced that newness of life. I pray that your spirit would be drawing them, that your spirit would be giving faith to them to latch on and, and receive Jesus in the newness of life and the beauty of holiness that he wraps around us. Father, I pray that you'd give us the grace every day to live into the gospel and to, as your chosen people, choose holiness, not out of fear, but out of delight for a better pleasure, a better joy that we have in Christ. We pray this in Jesus' precious name. Amen.